Hello and welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips. And I'm Victoria Hillman. And we're lucky enough to be joined today by Chantel and Rory, famous for presenting Teeny Tiny Creatures on the amazing CBBS channels. Thanks for joining us, guys. Great to have us. Thank you. I think famous is quite a reach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are in our house, put it that way. (laughs) Thanks for having us. It's great to have you along. Thank you. Yeah, and we have to note that the real star of the show, Sandy, is unable to join us because he's in bed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> past, his past his bedtime. <laughs> Way past his bedtime. You wouldn't be getting the best of him at this time. He's in, he's in, his, uh, he's in his trailer, Neil. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not to be disturbed with his yellow exactly. M&Ms. <laughs> Eye mask on. <laughs> oh, marvellous. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys, just so people who for whatever reason, don't watch CBBS. A, they don't have kids, I guess. Who <laughs> <laughs> uh, might not be familiar with you guys. Sure thing. So my name is Chantelle Lindsay. I live in London, but I'm a Yorkshire lass at heart because I was born in South Yorkshire, but I've lived most of my life in London now. And my normal day-to-day job is uh, at London Wildlife Trust as the Great Northwood Project Officer. But as of last year, I'm now a CBBS presenter on TV Tiny Creatures with wonderful Rory. Rory, take it away. Look at that seamless segue. She says since last year, but that's like natural born presenter, isn't it? Just straight in there. Live TV vibes. I'm loving it. Yes, I'm Rory Crawford. I uh, also present on Teeny Tiny Creatures on CBBS. And when I'm not doing that, I am the bycatch program manager for the BirdLife International Marine Program, which is hosted by the RSPB. So plenty of scope for acronyms in there <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you what I actually do because I don't think there was much much of those words that word soup that made any sense but we'll get to that I'm sure <laughs> we usually start our show with our latest sightings so as the guests do, you want to do yours first sure so my latest sighting that I chose was a red kite that flew over Streatham Common and Streatham Commons in South London and it's one of the places that we uh, work in and we were doing some practical conservation and actually it was the first day of the big garden bird watch so everyone was like ready with their pens and it was like oh red kite and I was like no sorry it has to land <laughs> so everyone was really like devastated I think a red kite is just amazing the first time I saw them was in Aberystwyth and they're just kind of just sort of like a bit of hope flying over because they're like one of the best reintroduction stories ever so yeah that was pretty special love it Chantel. <laughs> that's a good one i love that also you're such a true scientist that you were like oh you might have enjoyed seeing that <laughs> yeah. but it doesn't count <laughs> literally let them have their joy for a second and i was like scratch that off now <laughs> <laughs> love it well i've also got red in my sightings but i mine's a lot smaller in the garden the day before the big garden bird watch the day before there was a lesser red pole and i've never had a lesser red pole in the garden and there was one hopping around feeding on birch seeds on its own and then off it flew and all i got was a grainy photo (laughs) on my phone but it doesn't matter i saw it right i i stole the joy from myself because i knew i wasn't doing the big garden bird watch there and then and that's fine but yeah it was great loved seeing that part of it the, the most exciting bird i had in my garden but like that we suddenly see a bird it's like oh my word it was a bird i'd seen loads of places a field fair but Ooh. when it's in my garden in the snow i think i think that the coolest bird we've ever had in the garden had to be during the first lockdown we decided to rip the decking up out of the garden and neil i think i've told you the story we were sta- standing there just chatting to our neighbors over the fence i saw something out the corner i, I come in and then i felt something brush past my leg kind of flew up and then landed in the next door next door's garden and it was a sparrow hawk cool. and it actually came past brushed my leg kind of we've got like we call it a lollipop fence between us and the neighbors it's just like a little low fence with gaps in and it landed in their garden it was absolutely amazing wow uh but my sightings i haven't really seen anything to be honest i've, I've not really been out you did the bird watch at your mum's didn't you i did i did do the big garden bird watch with my parents at the weekend uh we had Two wood pigeons, 12 house sparrows, a couple of dunnocks, a couple of robins, a couple of great tits, a couple of blue tits, and some really weird grey fluffy bird with a big fluffy tail <laughs> that was um, pretending to be a bird eating from the bird feeders. <laughs> oh, I should report that one. Yeah. I think that's important to to get that result in this mysterious creature. 
Did it have four legs? It did, yes. Weird. Lost its wings yeah. somewhere. It did, yeah. Although it's it's quite the acrobat, mm. I'll tell you that much. Mm. We even That's definitely worth reporting. We, we we took to hanging the bird feeders off nylon right on the edge of the branches so it couldn't get to them. Um, and it's quite funny because they spin round in the wind. <laughs> And watching the birds kind of hit it and then just spin round and then fly off again is quite <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah. Just in case someone who's not from Europe is listening to this, <laughs> word from it. talk about grey squirrels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have a tendency to raid bird feeders. Yeah, they certainly do. It's like a battle, uh, isn't they it? Destroyed my feeder at work. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I've not had them in my garden until this year, and. Oh, last year, sorry, and I just, I never buy plants, I'm right cheapskate, I buy some seeds and uh, bulbs, I actually bought some plants at a plant show, put them in a pot, and the hazel tree at the bottom of my garden uh, started producing hazels, and guess what the one squirrel that's ever been in my garden <laughs> did, stuck up all my new plants. Oh no. <laughs> but there we go, I, I let it off, because it wasn't too hard to replace but... Yes, my sightings. I have a horrible confession to make and cover your ears, Rory, being an RSVB employee. Um, I didn't actually do the bird watch this weekend for the first time dun, in years. Dun, dun. Yeah, no, thumbs down. <laughs> Just letting Not the UK Wildlife Podcast down yeah. now. Well, I was, I was working in the garden on Friday, getting everything ready, and then I went to send my tax return form off on Saturday. I was really for doing it on tax return weekend, <laughs> um, and that kind of took all of Saturday, and I was working Sunday, so uh, that's my... Neil, priorities. I know, yeah, I should have... tax quit. return within the legal deadline, <laughs> yeah, that's or the garden bird watch. <laughs> At work, but we had a raven fly past again, which is quite the novelty in Essex. I only bred for the first time in something like 200 years, two years ago in Essex, so... Wow. That was pretty wow. cool. And today I went out. Anyone's following me on Twitter or <laughs> we've been a grumpasaurus about it all. But I finally got out after an aborted attempt this morning and went to somewhere to try and photograph some jays. And wherever I stood, they flew down at the other end of the <laughs> reserve. And I could, what was worse is I could see them doing it. So I went back and forth. Eventually I got some video of one hoofing down about 15 peanuts and, and going into its huge crop. So I'll put that video up at some point. A few gadwall and greenwood pecker, a few nice little things. I shouldn't be so grumpy. It's just the sun disappeared as soon as I got to the nature reserve. But yeah, other than that, uh, not really too much to report. I think that was quite a haul. <laughs> that was quite a lot. That's quite a lot. That's pretty good. Yeah, but it's nothing. It's not a red kite, is it? You know, not super interesting. A raven. I've never seen a raven. Uh, not, well, in the wild. No. Raven's good. And hey, no. I'm, I'm going to just drop a little Scotland humble brag in here that ugh, we get ravens over the garden. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Um, yeah, sorry, sorry, Neil. We quite often get the ravens here because they they nest in Cheddar Gorge. Yeah, I get more dragonflies going. <laughs> um, so we tend to get ravens. We've also had red red kite over the garden as well. I normally see them when I go to and from swimming, but actually I haven't seen them this last week when I've been swimming. But then the weather's been pretty awful, so whereabouts are you, Vic? Um, I'm in Froome, in okay, Somerset. That's a pretty good. So spot. just outside. Bath, but kind of just we're just on the outskirts of the Mendip. So, I've been to Cheddar Gorge and I saw peregrines there. So I know, I know where I know that it's not that far from Bristol. Yeah, yeah, we're about we're about probably about an hour from Bristol, about forty minutes from Cheddar Gorge, twenty minutes from Bath. So yeah, that kind of area. In the same day, an American woman took me to Cheddar Gorge Bath and. Um, we were going to try and see Stonehenge as well, but we didn't make it. Uh, and I think we made it to Bristol, so I think I ticked all those off in like a day. That's a lot to do in a day. <laughs> crammed it in, crammed it in. It was in the summer, longer days. Tell us a little bit more about what Teeny Tiny Creatures is, because obviously Neil has a young family. I don't have a family, so I did actually sit down and, and watch it as research and actually really enjoyed it as an adult. I thought it was actually really good fun. But for those that don't know what it is, tell our listeners what Teeny Tiny Creatures is. Chantel's pointing at me. <laughs> okay, well, it kind of is what it says in the tin, really. It's a show all about Teeny Tiny Creatures. On CBBS, we don't have a tendency to be too abstract to bear in mind our audience. So important to be clear about what we're doing but yeah it's everything i think we've gone from everything as small as wood ants all the way up to a hedgehog which has been classified as teeny tiny that uh, up to you um sort of <laughs> from a taxonomic <laughs> point of view what what actually qualifies as teeny tiny but you know in the world of mammals 
hedgehogs ain't that big really so as the series goes on who knows we might have to stretch the definition <laughs> more the more series we get the more we're gonna have to just think about what exactly is teeny tiny you know teeny tiny <laughs> compared what? to what um you'll have yeah, to go on to all... not so teeny tiny yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah just what? creatures yeah. yeah just a general scope there but really it's all about these creatures why they're fascinating, why, where to find them, what's cool about them, their role in the ecosystem, and critically, at the end <laughs> of each episode, Chantel sets Sandy and I, and sometimes Sandy's pal Zoe as well joins us, um, a teeny tiny task. So something that we can do to help the creature that we've spoken about that day. So there's a conservation message in there too. Yeah, that's it in yeah. a nutshell. And, it's, and plus we have these amazing contributors, um, a really wide range of contributors who are just so incredible that I get to chat to and loads of cool locations so Sandy and Rory are based in Scotland um, and then I'm kind of like the roaming presenter around the UK which is really really cool and we also have uh, kids who come on and ask the questions and they're just the cutest and just yeah really really lovely and I think the representation across the series is incredible for uh, contributors and for the children. Yeah because you've had Dr Amir Khan who's been a guest on this podcast as well. Oh. As 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 one of your people, so that was I noticed that uh, my my wife was like, which one's he on? Because my wife's a fan of Doctor Mia Khan as well. So. <laughs> He's doing brilliantly. Every time yeah. I turn on the television, Amir's on the television. I'm like, yes, go on. I, I was I, I messaged him going, I've just seen you on the telly. <laughs> yeah, and his it, career does appear to have taken off since he came on this podcast. Now I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> well, wait, when when mm. was he on Teeny Tiny Creatures? Because we could debate this, couldn't we? I mean, was it Teeny Tiny Creatures? Well, I was counting Teeny Tiny Creatures as part of his career progression, to be fair, because it's a big programme, you see. Ah, flattery will get you everywhere, Neil. It'll get you everywhere, man. That's the pinnacle, really. He's peaked at Teeny Tiny Creatures. Yeah, we'll be presenting the one show soon and going, oh, no, I'm never going to go back to the heights of Teeny Tiny Creatures it's great though and I think it's something that CBeebies does better than a lot of other channels is is representing people from all, all sorts of backgrounds interested in all sorts of um, different uh, aspects of, of nature you know we had kids with in wheelchairs kids with alopecia kids from all over the country of all races contributors you know non-binary contributors I think it's amazing you know for kids to see themselves represented on the TV in whatever way that is, is really important. I, I just think CBBs do it in a really natural and um, lovely way. And yeah, I mean, Chantel mostly gets to go meet all the exciting people. Um, not that seeing my son isn't exciting, yeah. obviously, um, but you, you understand, you know, you, you, do it, you do it every day. Yeah, no, I agree. It really was nice to see all that. I, th- I think there's a, there's a lot of adults that could learn an awful lot from watching Teeny Tiny Creatures, if I'm yeah. honest. Just saying. As a 40-something <laughs> that sat there and watched numerous it episodes. Is, I, it is, yeah. I mean, I had so many friends like, good to hear you know, watching it and being like, I'm about 10 episodes in now. <laughs> yes, keep yeah. going. Because <laughs> it, it is really watchable for adults as well, I think. That That's the key thing with kids shows. But I think people are starting to catch on to now is that if the parent likes to watch it, <laughs> then, you know, it's going to get on, the, well, <laughs> within reason, it's going to get on the TV, you know. There's only so many times you can watch Frozen or, uh, um, oh, or and I'm not allowed to slag off Bing because it's CBB. <laughs> <laughs> watch it now. <laughs> I'm waiting for the Bing Gets Mixed Matosis episode, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> you, you can't come after Bing. We'll, we'll get we'll get tumble on you. <laughs> oh no, not the tumble! <laughs> oh, anyone that hasn't got a child will be completely lost. Yeah, no, I you go. you lost me at that. Sorry, I I yeah. yeah. Mr. Tumble, go Google it. <laughs> Actually, don't that one even explain after. <laughs> right, moving swiftly on. Um, I might keep it as an outtake or something. <laughs> Classified reader. So, have you got a favourite moment from the series? That's, I think it's really difficult. I had so many favourite moments, so many good ones. I probably would say one of the most memorable for me was holding a hedgehog. And I did actually cry. <laughs> I was like, get it together, Chantel. Because they used to be my favourite animal when I was younger. I just remember like hunting for them in the garden. Um, when I lived in Peterborough and I've only had, I think I've only seen two live ones whilst being in London. But yeah, that was just super special. I, yeah, I literally cried and then had to be like, makeup touch up. But then undoubtedly my favourite... <laughs> 
moment with Rory, Sandy and Zoe was the Caterpillar song because the montage of it, if you see it, Caterpillar episode, you have to see it because it's tur- it turns into some sort of like 90s R&B video. <laughs> it's like a lot going on. It's brilliant. So yeah, Caterpillar song, make sure you watch it. <laughs> I don't think I've seen the Caterpillar one yet. <laughs> Add I it to your list. <laughs> yeah, Neil's like, yeah. <laughs> just remembered it It you have to be careful what you do when someone is filming you because what you think you're doing in jest sometimes people will then put it on the TV for millions of people to see so we were making our video for the Caterpillar song which if you've not heard it's very catchy oh little Caterpillar you're gonna wiggle wiggle you're gonna munch 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 those greens very catchy song exclusive and um, in, in, I collected some leaves and you know the director said why don't you just sprinkle them over the, the camera I did a bit of that and I was like what about why don't I make it rain <laughs> so I the leaves like one my palm out flat and then flicking flicking the leaves flicking the green out there uh, yeah and, it, and they included it I mean you just yeah I'm glad that's your highlight <laughs> I literally replayed it just over and over again. Oh man, <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I think my favourite moment. I mean, yeah, now, now that I've heard that, that's pretty good. <laughs> and always a little bit jealous of like Chantel's obviously off finding it's meeting really interesting people, and that's always that's really exciting. And we did actually get to do a, a few exciting trips this year as well. So some local nature reserves and stuff, and. Th- Actually, for me, the most exciting thing is seeing my son, Sandy, getting really excited about nature in the moment. So, you know, often I'll tell him what ep- what we're filming that day. I'll be like, right, this is what we're going to go and do. This is how it's going to work. And sometimes he's like, it's not clear that he's excited about it. He's happy to have a day at the house, but he's not always clear that he's super pumped about it. But the day we filmed Newt's, he was absolutely beside himself when there was a newt in the tank next to him. He wasn't allowed to handle it for obvious reasons, but one of the rangers at Preserve we were visiting had fished out a great crested newt and he was just like in love with this female great crested newt and looking at her stripy fingers. And then also seeing him like really excited about brittle stars as well at the beach near my mother and father-in-law's house. We're down in the uh, down in the beach looking at the rock pools and he got so obsessed with the brittle stars. We were looking for other stars. We'd even found this really big common starfish. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Just watching these tiny brittle stars. He's like, look at them. Look at how they're moving. It's crawling through the water. What is it doing? It's burying itself. So, yeah, just seeing that is really, it's super infectious, isn't it? And it's, you know, as somebody who cares about wildlife and likes wildlife, it was really like, you know, a, a bit of a moment. It, it feels good to, to see that enthusiasm, the natural enthusiasm of a kid when they encounter something exciting. And also, because let's be honest, filming can be boring. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say it. <laughs> I'm going to lay it all out there. Because, you know, I, as an adult, it's fine. But for a little kid, I mean, the first when we first started filming, my son had, you know, was just turned four this year, five. And you're often repeating the same thing over and over, right? There's usually one camera out with you. So they're filming what's called the wide, the, the wide shot, everything that's going on. And then they're coming in for close-ups afterwards. So it's a close-up of the animal, if you're holding one, a close-up of your face, then a close-up of, of the kid's face, the other contributor's face. So you're doing it again and again. You run the whole thing on a wide and then it's back into close-ups. And explaining that to a small child who's like, I've done it already <laughs> and I did it for real and now you're asking me to do it again? Like, I was enthusiastic the first time I saw it. So if it's something that he really likes, that's the good thing about it, if it's something he's really into, because he will be genuinely enthusiastic about it on the fourth <laughs> time. But when he's like looking at a millipede for take 72, it's like, okay, <laughs> we're on a diminishing return. <laughs> to be fair to Sandy, we had George McGavin on the show just over a year ago, mm. maybe longer than that now. And he said, when they're filming, sort of looking for creatures, he says to the cameraman, he says to him, right, get ready, because you can't act that, oh, wow, isn't this millipede amazing when you first see it four times? Because by the fourth time, it's kind of, oh, a millipede, you know. <laughs> you have to get the the genuine, you know, excitement, otherwise it's well, not the totally. same. And so. When we know yeah. we're going to see something, quite often, you know, I'll try and find whatever it is and get it ready so that when we capture the first moment of, of him seeing it, but that's not always possible, you know, yeah. for obvious reasons. 
I mean, you, it's even harder when you've got to imagine that it's there. When we did the bat episode, we did obviously see some bats, but then it was kind of like, right, so we didn't quite yeah. get on camera, so you're going to have to pretend. So it's me and like Sophie Pavel going, right over there, look at the bat, that's so cool. Oh my gosh, over there. So like major acting going on. I do feel like I need to get a bit of an award, to be honest, because... <laughs> <laughs> well, I was fooled. See? <laughs> How did you get to where you are now? Because I know this will be something that probably, you know, interests a lot of our listeners, but also if we, if any of our listeners have children that think, oh, that might be quite a cool job, maybe being a presenter or, or you know, the other jobs that you, you have. How, how did you get into it and to where you are at this point? <laughs> now Roy is pointing at me. <laughs> we keep pointing at each other. You. Right. So with, uh, uh, maybe I'll start with my day-to-day job. So with London Wildlife Trust, I mean, I've always been interested in nature and I finally landed on conservation when I found out what it was. I was like, right, I'm going for that. And I just had to keep following kind of my nose and my, and I hate to say it, my passion because there wasn't kind of a, a straight road to conservation. It was kind of like, oh, you can do this, you can do that. But eventually I was, I got to study animal behavior and wildlife conservation at university, which was amazing. And then I came out of university and was like, where's my job? I've earned it. Um, and it wasn't there waiting for me. <laughs> so <laughs> three years later, I was literally on the brink of giving up. I was like, I should have done something so much easier. This is too hard. I can't afford to do internships for three days a week, just expenses. I can't keep volunteering. It's not getting me anywhere. Not to bash volunteering, sorry. But then this traineeship came up and it was Keep It Wild. It's a project that London Wildlife Trust do. And it's it's a whole kind of multi-stranded project. So it's for 11 to 25 year olds. This traineeship was 16 to 25 year olds. I just turned 25, so I was on the brink. And it was paid it had an emphasis on children, um, people from disadvantaged backgrounds economically, from underrepresented backgrounds within the sector, so black, Asian and minority ethnic groups. And so not only was it a paid traineeship, it was also an organisation acknowledging that there is a problem with diversity in the sector and doing something about it. And I was like, this is incredible. So I did that for three months and I was actually shadowing the Great Northwood Project. And as it was coming to an end, the, the traineeship, I managed to secure a position as one of the co-project officers for the Great Northwood Project. So it was all like very fated. I sound like a bit of a hippie when I say this, but it felt like the stars aligned and it was just like, all of a sudden, like, you know, a few months ago, I was ready to give up. And then all of a sudden I was like in this dream job. So the Great Northwood Project is a woodland restoration project based in South London. And it's also a community engagement project. So you've got beautiful mix of leading volunteers, doing practical conservation, but also going out into the community and leading school sessions, doing targeted outreach. So it's really multifaceted, which I really love. And then off the back of that, during the pandemic, I mean, we're still in it, during lockdown, I'd say, I started to do some videos for the Wildlife Trust on their Wildlife Watch YouTube channel. And I've done a, lot, a couple of bits of the media things and somehow Blue Peter, the people from Blue Peter saw it. Um, and I did a sort of like a little VT on Blue Peter with a couple of other amazing naturalists like Maya Rose Craig. And then someone, the series producer from Teeny Tiny Creatures must have seen it. I got a call one day. I was literally in the middle of the woods leading a volunteer day. And yeah, I just got this call from a Scottish lady being like, so we're looking for a presenter for Teeny Tiny Creatures and CBeebies. Would you like to do it? And I was literally like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and I had to like keep my cool because my volunteers are over there so I had to act like you know the cool leader um, and I was like you know what I'm just going to think about this just give me just give me an hour or two called my mum straight away screaming down the phone she was like do it <laughs> do it um, so that's how it came about and my project was meant to be coming to an end so my manager was like go for it you know you don't know what's going to happen with the project but we actually got renewed funding so I ended up doing my project officer job as well as doing the CBB's job which was pretty intense but amazing because you're just doing two of these things that I've I've come to love so yeah that's how I got where I am today in a nutshell like a lot rather nice yeah. story how that's all come about it's funny how it all just yeah I mean it wasn't as easy as I make it sound <laughs> there were some bumps along the road it's a difficult sector to get into but yeah it was it just feels like it's meant to be really I think it's it's like ridiculous how hard it is to get into the sector mm. and you know and I'm saying that as like a white guy from a middle class background, like, and I, you know, I find it difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I think it's crazy how how hard it is. So I, my background is I did a degree at Glasgow University in marine and freshwater biology. I had originally had down on my UCAS form. I don't know if they do UCAS forms nowadays. 
They do. Chantel's nodding. Chantel is younger than me. I'm very old. Um, <laughs> to keep him young. Did, I was about to say, yeah, they do. And I thought, no, I went to university yeah. like nearly 20 years Deal. ago. So yeah. I <laughs> Back in my day. Um, so I had to, be, I was going to be a dentist. I almost went into dentistry. And then I, not, not bashing dentists, especially mine who puts drills in my mouth and stuff. But I realised it very much was not for me. And I had, the thing I cared about was marine freshwater biology. That was my backup option. I was like, actually, that is what I'm going to do. I like that better. So went and did that for four years and basically was a bit of an idiot for four years. Did okay, got you know got an upper second class degree, felt good about that, but came to the end of my degree going, I have no practical skills as a naturalist whatsoever. I've sat and learned about like the theory of conservation and done some nice field trips and went and did a degree project in, in Gambia, which was great, and working in a, a regional forest park there with the ranger service on water birds, which got me into birds, which was great. Uh, but I realised that I like I knew West African water birds better than I knew Scottish garden birds. So I thought, oh, I need to do something about this. Finished my degree and I was like, right, I should try and do some volunteering. I was working in an off-licence at the time, so I was trying to find some volunteering that had fit around it. And there was an RSPB Wildlife Explorers group near, not far from where I lived, in the west end of Glasgow. So I said, hey, I'll volunteer and do that. The commitment wasn't massive. I didn't have a lot of time to do it because I had to be doing a job. So it was like one afternoon a month plus a few a few hours prep across the month as well. And I thought, I can do that. I can be a volunteer leader. So I did that, started doing that. And I realised there in that moment, one of the kids came over with a little ID sheet with all these like 10 garden, it's like blue tits, great tits, chaffinch. And he was like, what him? The six-year-old's like, had got most of them right. And was like, what's this one? And I was just like, blank face. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. I, I, you could name more of those words than me. And I was like, I should not be leading this group. I had a total crisis uh, and realised I had to go and learn some stuff. So I was leading the group and went off to learn some more things. Continued volunteering with the RSPB. Managed to get a job at an aquarium, a Loch Lomond aquarium, which I didn't love. But it was something that felt kind of adjacent to what I was interested in, which was conservation. So it was a start. And parts of it were cool. Like feeding sharks for a job is pretty cool. But wasn't that well paid, and it was a bit of a commute to get there. Didn't have a car at the time, so I was getting a train up to Loch Lomond from Glasgow. And, I don't know, seven months into that job, I was applying for, like, ranger jobs, not getting any responses, getting nothing back. You know what it's like, just firing in job application after job application, just getting no responses, just all that disheartening stuff. And then eventually got um, got offered... Uh, not offered a guy at the RSPB World Life Explorers group said why don't you apply for the seasonal job that's come up and for four months it's leading guided walks show people hen harriers in a regional park and I was like what's a hen harrier don't have a clue <laughs> uh, he's like don't worry you can learn about that it's more important that you're enthusiastic I was like cool went and swatted up an upland birds they tested me on upland birds in the interview but thankfully I managed to blag it <laughs> the only one I got wrong was golden plover I think maybe a couple others but most of the ones I'd studied came up. Few. I also got Hen Harrier correct, which I think was the critical thing to know. <laughs> <laughs> and they offered me a job. And then basically for, for, for years after that, I was in short-term contracts. So did that contract for a couple of months, then worked in Kelvin Grove Museum in Glasgow for a couple of years, which I loved because that was, you know, it's the city I'm from. And it was engaging with an audience that wasn't necessarily there to in a museum to learn about wildlife but we were based in this natural history part of the museum and it sat within a, a brilliant park in the west end of glasgow so we were taking guided walks outside in the park and doing schools engagement then that was quite exhausting because it was like the busiest tourist attraction in scotland at the time so i did a bit of work in reserves after that and then eventually so about a time in isla in the west coast got a job in policy marine policy stuff in scotland uh, did that for a few years, worked on seabird island restoration stuff after that, and then in 2013 got a job in the BirdLife International Marine Programme, and that felt like I was coming home. Like That was like, right, this is what I want to do. I want to do international marine conservation stuff, working on fisheries. And because the solutions are really tangible, right, like um, I guess we'll talk about it in a wee bit, but stopping birds being killed in fisheries, there's solutions out there that work, and I loved this Albatross Task Force model that had been established by by BirdLife and the RSPB. It was working at the grassroots, it was working in countries through local partners, directly with the industry that was you know, affecting these birds and finding mutually beneficial solutions. And it just ticked all my boxes in terms of this is what conservation should, should be like. 
So, yeah, went and joined that team and I've been there ever since. Uh, my job's changed a little bit since 2013, but somehow next year, this time next year, I'll, be, I'll have been in the same team for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you come about with the teeny tiny creatures thing? Um? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you know, saying. That's what you asked me on the podcast. <laughs> there we go. Pick up the thread, Rory. Here we are. <laughs> so, uh, God, some point, I'd done a few media things while I was a policy officer at RSPB Scotland. And you get media training, you know what I mean? So you get like, this is how you'll be, you know, a guy who used to work for Sky News came into our office and trained us and like, he'd interviewed like Maggie Thatcher before. So he was like telling us about how a journalist might grill you and what angles you need to come from and how to get your point across. So that was great. But I was used to being in quite intense interview situations where there was, you know, policy points I had to get across. I might be having a bit of a debate with like a cabinet secretary on on the radio or something and you'd be wanting to get your points in there quite clearly so it's quite a stressful experience and often it's like on the morning show on the on the radio so it's like get up at 5 30 and get yourself an order eat a croissant and slap yourself with some coffee and off you go and then i got called one day for this totally light touch fun fluff interview basically on a, on a sort of mid-morning call-in show where the presenter kay adams who used to be on List Women. I don't know if she's still on List Women. She presents a radio show in Scotland, BBC Radio Scotland, and she's terrified of birds. So they'd called our press office saying, can you send someone uh, down to Pacific Key, BBC Scotland, uh, to come on and, and convince Kay Adams that she should go bird watching?" <laughs> and so the press office were like, Rory, you have talked to radio people before, and you the office is not far away. It's in the west end of Glasgow. Just pop over there. If are you happy to do it? And I was like, all right. You've chosen me for the fluff piece. I don't know what you're saying here, but I'm happy to do it. So, and it's nice actually to go on the radio and chat about something that you were excited about rather than like, here's some points I really need to get across because this is, a, you know, these, these are really important for us. It was more like just talking about your passion. So I did that. And then after that, my um, producer of the show was like, hey, that was really good. Have you thought about doing any radio stuff in the future or TV stuff? And I was like, yeah, but you know, I don't really know how you do that. So, and I've got a job, so that'd be great, you know call me so then months later i got a call and they were saying we're looking for presenters for a brand new show on cbb's called my pet and me and yeah i got invited to submit a show reel i didn't know what that was i got my friend fee to film me so fee very kindly filmed me and i went to go and see my brother i took my niece with me at the time she was five my brother was working in a lab with tree frogs so we went to uh, the tree frogs and chatted about the tree frogs and i sent that to them and then they invited me for an audition and I had to sing at the audition. I had to memorise a piece to camera. And then they had a kid there with their pet that I had to chat to, which was a cat in a basket. And cats aren't famously <laughs> friendly um, out of their own territory and in a basket. Uh, so I went to like, pick the cat out and it was like... <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is going really well. Anyway, after all that, they then offered me a presenting job. And then we did, you know, three series of My Pet and Me, a bunch of specials as well. Got to go to some amazing places, Malawi and Galapagos Islands. And then we filmed Fenrir's Vet Tales and then Three Tiny Creatures. And, and really for me, that's coming home because of my background. I'm interested in wildlife, nature, conservation. So making a show about this is like absolutely what I've always wanted to do. Now, I'm not, I'm you know, I love pets. I love all animals, right? But really, I'm all about wildlife. So... Coming back to this show, it's like, this is the show that I've always wanted to be involved in. I think from from listening to, to both of you, and I'm pretty sure Neil would, would join me on this one, you know, one of the, the kind of take-home messages, if, if there's something that you want to do, just keep going for it and just keep working at it and just find any avenue you can. Because like I said, it's not an easy industry to get into. You know, I'm, I'm a scientist by training myself. I did zoology with marine zoology and then a master's in wildlife biology and conservation. You know, the, the paid work out there, it, it's just... It's so hard to get into, and that's actually one of the reasons I went freelance because it was just it was an easy route for me to do to go free freelance, and then I could combine everything in. Because trust me, there's no jobs out there if, if you're a scientist and artist and everything else combined. Apparently, there isn't a, a perfect fit. But you know, from listening to both of you, it's just just keep going, and you will get there in the end. Something will come up if you just keep working at it. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree with that. Just keep, yeah, following your nose because that was kind of what I had to do in, you know, when uh, everyone was doing work experience in retail, I was like, right, I'm going to a canine hydrotherapy center, do that, you know, dogs swimming around and on water treadmills and things like that. And when people were doing like their biology project on diabetes and cancer, I was like, can I do mine on the decline of tiger populations in the world? And my teachers looked at me and was like, uh, I think so. <laughs> I was like, great, I'm doing it. <laughs> so it's just like, you just have to keep like knocking on that door, definitely. And just, yeah, try and put yourself in, in positions where it can keep your passion going. Because it's so easy for it to, the little flame to go out and to, it to be kind of crushed by the industry. So yeah, I would definitely say keep going. Totally. And keep like, keep your horizons broad at the start, I think as well. Like, I think I certainly didn't. Some people know, like some people are like, this is exactly what I'm going to do. But within conservation, there's like a whole bunch of jobs you can do. Like even organizations like the Wildlife Trust and RSPB have got, you know, like science departments and comms departments and people who are doing the practical stuff on the ground or, or leading projects like Chantel does. So like there's a, a whole bunch of different skill sets involved in all those different things. I think the sector's got a lot of work to do to be less reliant on things like degrees. You know, a lot of the work that we do, I don't actually think a degree is important. A lot of what I've learned has, I've learned post my degree, like on the job doing practical stuff. Like I said, I came out and didn't have a clue what a blue tip looked like, which is ridiculous. So I think like so much, so the sector's got a lot to do to sort that stuff out. But in the meantime, as an individual trying to crack into it, like having broad horizons and an open mind about what might be your niche and even thinking about some of the things that you enjoy outside of what you might think is your career like if you like doing stuff on social media like maybe a, a comms role in an organization would totally suit you because it's that meshing of your interests so I think keeping like a really broad horizons about it can help you almost stumble upon something that maybe you didn't think was was going to be the way yeah, I can only echo what you three said about getting into the sector I volunteered for two years I had a master's degree I volunteered for two years got turned down for a few jobs with the NGO I was volunteering for I do environmental education you do not even need to know you need to have infused ever wildlife but you don't need to know what every pond creature is every mini beast it's, you know I know a lot of that and that's the way I come from but I've worked with some really good people and one of if not the best her knowledge of nature was basic I tell you I actually won't mind me saying that but the enthusiasm she could get out of the most stubborn teacher and children, she'd have them all dancing within sort of 10 minutes. And I learned so much from her. You know, and it's, it's learning from the people around you, I find, mm -hmm. certainly in my field. And I imagine all the others is the same, isn't it? It's just, I mean, a lot of people like to sneer at degrees and I, don't, I get annoyed about that. You know, oh, they almost hold it against you. It can help, but yeah, there's no, no, a combination of the two is useful in some roles as well, I mm. find, but. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I still volunteer. I actually volunteer for my local area group of Somerset Wildlife Trust. Now, obviously, last couple of years, we haven't been able to run our walks or anything like that. And I actually predominantly now do the social media side of things for them because, trying to put this politely, most of the people that are that do volunteer, um, they don't... <laughs> Neil probably knows what I'm going to say here. Um, they're not social media savvy. Let's put it this way. When they said, well, we have a Facebook page and half the committee turned around and went, what's Facebook? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I, I kind of keep the Facebook page up. But, you know, I, I volunteer and I help out on the walks when I can as well and, and everything. And it's just having that enthusiasm, you know, just really helps. Because if you can get people enthused, our, our most popular walk that we do, uh, we do an adult walk with a, a guy from the local uh, amphibian and reptile group. And I remember one year we went out and we, we were really struggling to find any adders. But this little girl, she and she must have been about six, found a bloody nose beetle. She carried this thing around for the next two hours because it was the best thing she'd ever seen. So, you know, didn't matter that we then found adders. She's like, no, I've, I've got my beetle here. And she would just carry it around with her and it was just amazing. But if you've got the enthusiasm that you can really kind of, and you can engage with people as well, I think, you know, it, it, it's just finding those ways in as well. I mean, that's, when I came out of, from doing my master's actually, so while I was studying for my master's, I did it part-time at, at Edinburgh Napier. And I actually worked as a cave guide. Um... <laughs> at Wookiee Hole Caves, not the Cheddar Complex, um, the other one. And 
then I actually worked in a chocolate factory. Oh my goodness. <laughs> of all the things you've said that no. <laughs> I want to delve into. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Oh no, is it a I didn't eat chocolate for about eight months after I finished. <laughs> it's a shame you um, didn't work at Cheddar because that would have been a fondue then, wouldn't it, if you worked at Cheddar and then a chocolate factory? <laughs> yeah. See what I have to put up with? <laughs> I was going to say, I really wanted to get into the, uh, the Cheddar complex there. <laughs> I've got a real Cheddar complex after working in the cheese factory. Oh, see, see, Rory's just, yeah, we're showing you that you have to make jokes like this because it's like, as your dad, it's just the rule. You, if, if you don't, the police come knocking at the door and say, you haven't met your quota this week, you know. <laughs> this is your last warning. Oh, it's yeah. terrible, isn't it? It's really, really deeply embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for myself. Staying with the show, we had a listener question from Tom, who's the podcast host for Grubbing in the Filth, and he asks, in your programme about trying to ship oh sorry let's start that again i'm doing really well now aren't i this is why you're on tv and i'm not (laughs) is your program about trying to shield young people against the culture of tiny creature dislike or is it about providing them with a mindset to actively defy that culture oh great question and it may not surprise you that tom's podcast is all about invertebrates and insects and stuff so uh, (laughs) he's he's well into this stuff well, I'm glad you went that way when yeah, you said yeah. Robin in the Filth. I thought I'd better clarify that. that, that be the... He's referring to dung beetles rather than something else, I think. <laughs> oh, we actually had dung beetles on the show, so I wonder if you watched that one. Um, yeah, that was me grubbing around in the filth on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say to Tom, because I am... Um, I like to go on the positive side of life. I would say it's about providing them with a mindset to actively defy that culture. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely about kind of not making t- tiny creatures cute or anything, but just using the, using the magic and the amazingness and how they're so well adapted, all their superpowers as we call them, um, and leading with that as opposed to what they look like and how maybe creepy they are, um, and seeing the beauty in that. I've got a friend who is absolutely has got such a phobia of anything teeny tiny creature and he was just I remember watching it with him and he was like oh my gosh it's so gross but oh wow that's really cool and it was like you know that kind of like oh it is like a bit icky for some people but actually when you tell them about what they can do um, and how they interact with the earth that's that's the pull so I would say the latter yeah I totally agree and I, th- I also think I mean there's always an influence of like parents and how your parents react to those things and there might be reasons that they react to teeny tiny creatures in the way that they do you know these things get like handed down and passed on there's a what's that cultural context for it but if you if you put a kid in front of a living thing they're fascinated by it like the instinct I mean like watching my own children like without any judgment on whether it's a good thing or a bad thing like lifting up a rock or finding something crawling around in the house or in the garden like they're fascinated by it like another living thing like as a human i think there's some innate interest in what that thing is doing even even if it's as basic as it's moving about of its own volition like that seems like an interesting thing to check out never mind like all the exciting and amazing things you can then learn about it, but from like a really basic, almost like cellular human level, the connection to other living things is totally profound. So I think it's inside all of us. It, you know, to some extent, it might get it might get beaten out of us, or it might we might be encouraged to be afraid of these things. But somewhere in there is the little kid that's like that is really interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally on the same page. I think it's it's all it's all on the positive. It's all. Let's, let's have a look at why this thing is so cool. Look at all the stuff it can do that we can't do. Isn't that interesting? Oh, look at that cool spider. It's got eight eyes. That's amazing. <laughs> I'll tell you what, talking about it still being inside us all, I did an open day at work and we put on some pond dipping, which never fails. I don't care what age level you are. The only reason adults don't do pond dipping is because they're self-conscious about it. <laughs> but I had a... She told me how old she was. She was over 60 and she'd always wanted to do pond dipping but never had... I was like, oh, can I have a go? I said, get stuck in. I don't think I've had a happier customer. <laughs> the pond creatures are brilliant because they stay in the tray. So people feel safe. And so many cool different ones and breathing through their bottom and stabbing and sucking at the insides of other creatures. And 
it's just yeah, like you say, kids don't even need that. They they just go, wow, moving thing. Let's go and catch something else. And, and then, but then you can just creep in the information, and they're not grossed out at all, are they? Most kids, and even the ones that are at the start, by the time they see how much fun their friends are having, they're getting stuck in and pushing everyone out the way to have a look themselves. So totally, I remember doing elbow pellets with some kids uh, in a country park in Glasgow. And they just not don't really tell like get they'll come over because other people are there and start picking through, and it's not until like halfway through and you're like yeah that an owl did sort of gack that out their out their mouth, it's like a vomit jobby basically, but like it's totally fascinating they're they're pulling it apart like that's the fluff from a mouse and that's the jaw of a vole and what's that like it's it's inc- and they're like assembling a skeleton before they know it they're like you know having been a bit grossed out or assembling a skeleton <laughs> from from pellets and it's like this is great it's great well, i mean we we've had it when we like so when we do this we call it an adder walk it's actually an amphibian and reptile walk because it's normally done in march april time and you know, half the battle sometimes is trying to get them to not touch it. You know, they they, they just want to touch it and they want to hold it. And, this, and obviously when you've got adders, you really don't want them to be touching it and, and disturbing it and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, we found like then they, they're just so fascinated. They want to touch it. They want to look closer. They're, like all inhibitions just go out the window when you just go, look at how cool this thing is that we've got right here. Then trying to explain why the male toad is on the back of the female toad is quite interesting when they're like they're cuddling five and you're like yeah their parents are there looking at you trying to explain it. it's like that's your job yeah. would you like to feel this yeah. one exactly you, you can all their parents one. that's your job I always have to do it over water lice isn't it? the males always hang on the back of the females and and it's kind of oh it's it's got a baby and sometimes I'm just like yeah we're going. <laughs> It's just easy. Ever, ever had to try and explain a mating ball to to oh, children? A toad mating ball <laughs> to children? Wrestling. It's easy. You've just got. Do you know what? Just use the biological term and then yeah. leave the page. Like it's amphiplexus and then amplamplexus. Is it amplamplexus? Um, um, in amplamplexus. But this is this is like a full-on yeah, mating ball where you've got one female and like ten males. Rolling around in the water. Oh. I was telling him it's an orgy. I was going to say, I didn't know whether we could say orgy, but I was like, yeah, that's definitely an orgy. <laughs> They'd get the, that. The trick is you say it just before they go home, and then the parent has to explain it. <laughs> Job done. Yeah. By the way, it was an orgy. As you're getting in your car and driving away at <laughs> 60 window. miles an hour. <laughs> oh, Actually, we man. should encourage this, Rory, because that could be us in the car. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm thinking about. That's all I'm... <laughs> if it was up to you and you could have any creature that you wanted to feature in the show, what would it be? That's a good question. So, I mean, we're talking anything we want that's not... like Obviously, we're going to have to have some kind of teeny tiny cut off here, right? It's like a level of... It, yeah, it does need to be a teeny tiny creature. Right. But, you know, in terms of like, this, we can like get fancy equipment and stuff to help yeah. us uh, yeah. check it out. Yeah, unlimited yeah. budget. You the BBC it. has an unlimited budget, yeah. right? <laughs> You've clearly not worked with children's before, children's TV before. <laughs> you? Here's your magnifying glass. <laughs> Bring your own, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, geographically, is it a boundary? No. Let's say no. no boundary. It's a ge- I don't know if it's teeny tiny, but you know those um, coconut crabs? Yeah. <gasps> I died. Robber crabs. Yeah, sorry. It, it's cool enough to yeah. be class. I'd like robber crabs in the yeah. Seychelles. How does that sound? That would be amazing. That would yeah. be amazing <laughs> with a little holiday tag. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty incredible. You've you've really um outdone mine. I was just gonna say uh, a bee fly because I think bee flies are pretty fascinating. <gasps> God, I love these two people. I told they'd be good, Vic, didn't I? You just picked two of my favourite animals. You two. No way. <laughs> Well, we did an episode just about us, didn't we, before Christmas, and anything I could go and see, guess what I picked, Rory? Did you see robber crabs? I said robber crab, but I said on Christmas Island, so I could get the Christmas Island crabs as well, but, you know. Okay, okay. I did. We did an episode on bee flies with Dr. Erica McAllister. By the way, if you do an episode with flies, get her on, because she's just... Oh, yeah, fly girl. She's amazing, yeah. I, I, I actually filmed a load of bee flies last year, flinging um, their eggs into the burrows of bees in slow motion. Which is rather cool to see, but uh, oh, that is cool! And oh, not forgetting the bum wiggle first, they bum wiggle the eggs into the into the dirt 
do a bum wiggle on the floor and then they take off and fling it in and I got all of that I just haven't got round to editing it all yeah good choices <laughs> well yeah if we do incorporate bee flies they'll probably knocking on your door for your for your filming material well, I showed Erica and she she was quite impressed with it so that, I'm taking that as a win really if she she likes <laughs> it it must be good yeah and do you know what? I would say like one of the bugs I've been most buzzing about seeing in the garden was bee flies. Twice I've seen them and I've been like, <laughs> <gasps> like you know, almost hyperventilating. That and a ruby-tailed wasp, which I know is not particularly rare, but like seeing one of them, I was like, oh. a kind of mm. one of the early ones that you tend to see in the garden as well, isn't it? It's you know before a lot of the other invertebrates. That is my sign of spring. That's how I mark spring. You know, everyone has like daffodils or, you know, bluebells or whatever. Mine is bee flies. I see. Mine's my frogs. When my frogs return to the pond, then spring's on its way. That's a good question to ask people as well. What's your sign of spring? Chantelle, what's your sign of spring? Oh, my sign of spring. I would say brimstone butterflies. Good choice. They're quite an early one. I would definitely say those. They just flutter by with their lovely yellow wings and they I'm like, yeah, it's spring's coming. Spring takes so long to arrive in Scotland. I was going to say something like you're in, uh, you're in the first um, willow warbler. The one week of sunshine you get every year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We've got spring, which is a week, summer, which is a week, and then uh, yeah. back to sort of, I don't know, three months of autumn, mainly winter. I don't know. It's, it's not that bad. I worked up in Scotland for eight months and we had. I think I worked from April till about October, and for the most part, it was really nice. I know, but we always have to continue this myth. <laughs> Just to maintain that sort of hard done by, browbeaten, you know, general level of pessimism <laughs> that you would expect from from me. So you know, oh, it's, it's when you when you tell when you tell everyone it's not rain, it's liquid sunshine. That's what you get in Scotland. It's liquid sunshine. <laughs> I like all the different names for rain, you know, different, um, and some of them are like sort of verging on sweary, I guess, so I won't be saying them, but smur is one of my favourite ones, you know, it's smurry when it's like really fine, that rain when you go out, and I was doing it today actually, and it's like, it's not really raining, but you get soaked like immediately, because it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, we call it mizzle. Yeah. Or oh, mizzle, that's a one, isn't it? Yeah. Mizzle. mizzle. Yeah. That's a West Country one. Gets you one, absolutely that. soaked. Yeah, mizzle. It's a West Country one. I thought you were going to say that's a no, West no. Coast one, like Snoop Dogg. <laughs> For shizzle my mizzle. Shizzle my mizzle. Well, on that shizzle my mizzle, that's the end of part one. You can listen to the second part in the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the UK Wildlife Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast service you use. You can follow us on Twitter at UK Wildlife Pod, all one word or on Instagram at UK Wildlife Podcast. And like us on our Facebook page, UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can also post to the UK Wildlife Podcast community group. If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UK Wildlife Podcast. And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UK Wildlife Pod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips, and music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.